37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Pixelated Paranormal, episode 117. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This episode will be just Preston and I, because Stephen is currently away getting things ready for our roundtable show. We are recording tomorrow evening at CD Trade Post here in Wichita, so he'll be uh, putting that together for us, and that'll be a very fun, very special episode I think you guys will get next week. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a pretty awesome time. Um, another episode where there's going to be a pretty light edit on this one. I'm not going to go back through and clean too much stuff up, but uh, this one, for the lack of better, is going to be another one of those, hey, here's what's in the news that you may have missed yeah. episodes. Because there's a lot of weird shit going on, man, just in the last week or and so. And when it comes to the light edit, Isaac, you can put that in another fucking song. <laughs> <laughs> hell yeah you know what isaac actually has sent in one of these news stories for hell us so yeah. i'll get to that here in a bit yeah awesome well dude let's just jump straight into it uh this first uh first news story is kind of a uh, an anniversary of a very special event right yeah which is really odd because i don't uh i don't remember this from uh 10 years ago because uh jeffrey oh, really? jeffrey found it on facebook we were uh watching the curse of folk island on the couch the night before she went to bed and she mm-hmm. was surfing Facebook and she said, honey, do, do you remember this? And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck are you talking about. <laughs> so uh, she sent me over the article and I was like, holy crap. Um, so 10 years ago today, the balloon boy hoax captivated America. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do remember the balloon boy hoax. Oh, sh- that's the one where the uh, the dad supposedly put the little boy in that like uh, aluminum hot air balloon thing, Look, looked kind of like a UFO, and supposedly got him lost. Right? Yeah. So Fort Collins, Colorado, um, the moniker was given to Falcon Heaney in October yeah. of two thousand and nine when he was six years old. For nearly two hours, people around the world fixated on his fate, fearing he had floated as high as seven thousand feet and a massive helium balloon resembling a flying saucer. And nearly 10 years later to this day, it is still fresh on the minds of many in Colorado and around the world. So the balloon landed 90 miles from the family's home in Fort Collins with no falcon inside. He turned up in the attic over the garage, having never been tucked in the balloon, as his parents said. His discovery ended in a frantic effort to save him. It also started legal woes for his parents, both whom served time in jail after the story started to unravel during an interview. <laughs> so the article goes on to say, like, they were on, like, a CNN special, and the boy, like, was so nervous that he threw up on live air. Mm-hmm. And then um, they had asked him, like, hey, you know, did you hear your dad, at, you know, calling from you uh, while you were in the attic? And he said, yes. So they're like, well, why didn't you respond? And he said, you guys said that we did this for the show. And so reportedly uh, there was a Japanese reporters saying that they had a deal with a, a television company for a, a reality TV show. And uh, the the dad or the mom spent 20 days in jail with 40 years probation. And the husband, the dad, got 90 days after pleading to one felony count of attempting to influence a public servant. 
Um, he later said that I didn't get charged for a hoax and accused Colorado authorities for going after him so they could look good publicly. It was typical. It was a typical public public official who redirected it to him so he could get attention. That's fine. I just want to walk away from it. Ten years later, the family finds themselves living in Tampa uh, in a huge trailer settled 50 <laughs> miles north in Spring Hill, where uh, the cost is, uh, of living is low and the high opportunity for work fixing and flipping houses. So he's not doing too bad. <laughs> ah, yeah. You know, a little jail time. That's uh, That's too bad. I remember that because... The stories leading up to it, everybody's just thinking like, what the fuck? This is a terrible accident. Yeah. And then people started thinking about it after the knee jerk. And they're like, no, this is terrible because they're horrible parents. Like, yeah. <laughs> how do you let that happen? And then how do you how do you break a story any better than your kid on TV saying, wait, <laughs> <laughs> you guys said this yeah. is all bullshit. We made the whole thing up. <laughs> oh. oh, I love it too much. Yeah. Huh. Well, happy anniversary, everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ten years going strong. Hey, you know well, what? Fr- I mean, that story turned out better than when they sent midges up in hot air balloons for Area 51. So <laughs> For Roswell, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very true, very true. Well, dude, speaking of uh, Roswell and speaking of, you know, things up in our atmosphere, what else you got for me a little higher up in space? So I found this, came across this article set that's titled, NASA found life on Mars in the 70s, but ignored, uh, but ignored it. Former scientist claims. So in the 70s, I, I think we've talked about it on the show, uh, when they sent the original Viking landers up um, and they found like, you know, the face on Mars and all that. Mm-hmm. There was a group of scientists that ran tests known as labeled release or LR, which was intended to look for signs of life. And the prince, principal investigator Gilbert uh, Levine has now written an ar- article arguing that those findings um, indicated of alien life, so mi- microbial life on Mars. However, NASA said that at the time there wasn't enough to back it up, and uh, so they weren't going to release it to the public. And he's irritated now because recently in the news, um, another top leading NASA scientist has come forward and said that people aren't going to be able to handle the discovery of life on Mars. Like, it's just going to wreck our perception of our place mm-hmm. in the universe. But he said, the, the NASA scientist said that the discovery of life on Mars is coming. Like, it's in the future. We're going back. We're going to discover it. And this guy that was you know, here in the 70s said, fuck you guys. Like, I've already fucking discovered it. Like, this test was foolproof. You guys ignored the data, and you lied to the general public. So, in your face, NASA. Ooh, you old lying dirty bastards. Yeah. But it is a really good point about, you know, the, the discovery of aliens and alien life, that really does turn everything on its head. It you does. You because... We're a society where we go to bed at a certain time, we wake up, we eat breakfast, we go to work, spend our whole day slaving away at a job to pay a mortgage, to pay a car, you know, note, and then you have a couple days of freedom on a weekend, and then it's back to the daily grind. And so that's really going to change everybody's perception on responsibility, on just exactly what it means just to be a human, the only, you know, supposed life form 
uh, in the universe that's intelligent as we are. Yeah. And also with religion, it's just going to really, what does that do to God or the right. idea of God or, or any organized religion? Yeah. I mean, I, those are all valid points. Um, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, me, I don't know, I can't speak for you, but I mean, for me, I, I've been on this paranormal road for so long that um, it, it's really just an accepted fact for me. So, you know, NASA coming out and saying, hey, guess what, guys? There's actual life on Mars. Like, all right, big fucking deal. Like, how long have you guys known about it? Like, you know. <laughs> I know. It's kind of one of those things where you want to be like, and? <laughs> yeah. What's your fucking point, NASA? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it it's definitely something interesting to be thought about and... Like everything else in the world, I always believe just a little tinfoil hat here. Yeah. When things this big get released to the public, like we're hearing about the Tic Tac UFO and how the Navy, all the Navy and all the Air Forces, you know, recent um, uh, encounters with UFOs and unidentified objects are actually real and actually viable, you know, uh, witnesses and witness accounts it makes you think like how long have we really known about this? Because you wait an awful long time before you allow people to actually know this kind of stuff. And I I think the, the mindset of our modern day society, the fact that more people are accepting of these ideas now versus 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, that's what's actually opening the door for the soft disclosure. Like, if you go back to the seventies and the sixties, when we first started talking about space exploration, that was a big concern. And there were, you know, scientists wrote papers for NASA saying, hey, you are going to find these things, but you can't tell the public because it's going to cost mass hysteria. And if you look at the mindset of the people from the 50s and the 60s and 70s, like that, that makes sense. So I can get why you would lie to the mass, you know, public about it. But now, mm-hmm. the baby, it's 20, 2020, and <laughs> uh, we don't give a shit about that no more. <laughs> right. Um, a really, really great example uh, recently to what you just said is if anybody gets a chance to watch Project Blue Book, it was a really fantastic series that I think the History Channel had, and it was kind of a uh, docudrama series about, you know, Project Blue Book and a lot of the stuff that, uh, oh gosh, who was it, J. Allen Hynek maybe, if I'm not getting my names mistaken, uh, and his work with the U.S. government on going out to investigate these different sightings and encounters and whatnot. And it really does a great job of portraying the paranoia of the military of, like, we have to keep all this shit secret. We have to find cover-up stories for all this. And then basically, you know, the the general population's reaction to these kind of things, too. Because coming out back in 1950, 1960, if you saw you know, the Flatwoods monster, Mothman, yeah. an alien going through your garbage, you were just instantly probably institutionalized. So that is something to be said about how when this shit originally started happening, like no one's going to believe it. And it was easy to cover up too, because if you demonize a thing, you can easily turn around and, and get people really persuaded just to shut the fuck up about it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I strongly urge people to watch it, if nothing else, for the fact that it's a pretty fun show. Uh, they do a really good job of getting a real nice X-Files vibe, uh, building fun stories around, you know, supposed fact and actual accounts and stuff like that. So I really I really hope to come out with this season two with that show. So, Well, speaking of uh, what aliens do to God, let's talk about <laughs> the devil for a minute here. There's no other segue for that. <laughs> what yeah. you got? 
So this is an older article, so this is not like new news, but it keeps coming up sporadically in like my Facebook suggested news articles that I should read. It does, and I've come across it on Twitter recently. (laughs) I've come across it on my own Facebook. So either we are searching for some really weird stuff (laughs) or people just can't quit talking about it. So go Uh, ahead here, man. So from Dazed. Uh, digital.com female masturbation can apparently open a portal to hell. That's right, folks. According to one Christian publisher, dildo enthusiasts are on a direct path to a demonic realm. <laughs> but should we take his views more seriously? <laughs> oh, boy. Since time immortal, we've been told that wanking is bad. However, the last 50 years have seen the gradual emancipation of the pussy for many women lucky enough to live in more liberal societies. Unfortunately, as we've started to talk more about female masturbation and orgasm in more open, positive ways, the backlash from Puritans, monogamists, and religion's fanatics have become more apparent, particularly in the United States. On this week's most extreme and bizarre attacks on female sexuality comes from Major Mac of Eden Decoded in Florida. The Christian author is adamant that female masturbation is basically leading civilization straight down the path to hell and has pushed an open letter (laughs) condemning the act. Major believes that getting yourself off could quite literally summon a demon from hell's fiery pits. Masturbation is a direct path to Satan. There's nothing normal about it, he says empathetically. Whether you want to accept it as fact or not, those sex toys are an open portal between the demonic realm and your own life. So ladies, you've heard it here from Pixelated Paranormal. Put down the dildo and pick up a wang. (laughs) (laughs) That's where you're going to end it? Yeah. (laughs) That's how you stop what you're talking about? (laughs) I am impressed. Yeah. No, okay, so here's what's funny. Um, We can joke about it because that is really ridiculously obscene. And uh, this guy's an idiot. But there is something to be said about the act of sex magic. And I've never really delved too much into black magic or magic at all or any of that kind of shit. But I have done a little research on people who swear by it and especially sigils. Have you ever read much into sigils or sex magic or any of that kind of stuff? Uh, No, but, uh, you know, I I have a, a topic to lead off to this real quick about uh, yeah. Chinese bioenergy and uh, the, the culture on why Chinese women live longer than men. Um, so when you get done okay, with yours, I, I can go into yeah. that. So, Okay. So, I mean, as far as like sigils go and, and a, a little, a tiny little bit into the sex magic thing, it, and I'm not going to, we can spend a whole episode going into this deeper, but basically what you do is you draw a, um, a mark or a logo or a symbol that is all of yours. It's all your own. Mm-hmm. It could be, you know, a P, a G, and a ghost or whatever you want. But basically, essentially, you make this uh, this symbol and you worship it and you start putting your own energy into it and you meditate onto it. And I don't have to that, come on it, do I? <laughs> well, let me get to that. Okay. <laughs> um, you have to think of something you want. So maybe you want wealth or maybe you really want this promotion, you know, at your job or something like that. And so you you get an idea and you fixate on it, and you meditate on this sigil, on the symbol that you've drawn. And then after a while of meditating on it, basically the way to seal the deal is you sit there and stare at this symbol, and you masturbate on it or masturbate to it. And then essentially you are designed to... <laughs> so crass. Uh, you basically ejaculate onto your sigil, and then in some cases you then burn it. 
And that's kind of what seals the deal on the sex magic and then kind of puts that thought into the uh, the ether and helps you then uh, get closer to achieving your goals. Wow. So I'm not saying the guy is right at all because he's a nut job, but there is something to be said about the idea of uh, masturbation and magic and potentially, uh, you know, summoning uh, demons and tulpas. Huh. Not that I believe in you can summon a demon by just, you know, flicking the bean or jerking the McGurkin, but (laughs) it is definitely worth (laughs) mentioning, and maybe we delve into that another time. Yeah. we You know, we haven't gotten back into this book. Where did I put it here? Sexual hauntings through the ages. (laughs) We haven't had a late night episode since that one. Maybe we could do some studying up on some sex magic and do a a late night with Pixelated Paranormal Part 2. You know, November is a pretty laid back month. There's nothing going on except for Thanksgiving. So maybe we need uh, some, you know, spooky uh, midnight, uh, you know, Randy stories. Mm, I think we can make that happen, folks. Yeah. Cool. Okay, so you tell me why the hell (laughs) these Asian women are living longer than men. Yeah. So in in the in the you know the Chinese culture, um, you know, back when Confucianism was you know in its prime, and um, you know this idea of qi energy, so yin and yang. Mm -hmm. So men uh, are born with a certain amount of yin energy, and females. And penises. And, you know, women are born with a, a certain amount of yang energy. And it is believed that every time a man and a woman copulate, that when he, you know, jizzes, you know, exp- explodes his seeds, that a little bit of his chi energy is released into her. And she's actually sucking up that energy and uh-huh. adding it to her pool, thus living longer. So, um, huh. you know, if, if you guys are banging it out like jackrabbits, uh, you know, the guy's going to die off pretty early. Or um, if uh, you're jerking the gherkin a little bit too much, you've actually depleted your, your, your you know, whatever you're born with. So, you know, the minute you're a little baby Sean, you have yeah. a specific amount of chi energy that you're going to carry with you for the rest of your life. So once you get oh. to adolescence and start... <laughs> You could deplete that <laughs> that well of energy, and if you do that, uh, you'll never be able to obtain enlightenment because you won't have enough focused energy to be able to do so. Or mm-hmm. if you're a horn dog and you know you're bursting your nut into your wife every night, she's going to live longer and you're going to die earlier. Now, why does that make me a horn dog? Well, I mean, it, it, why can't it, that just be a perfectly healthy relationship? <laughs> <laughs> How about if you're just sitting there, just making some knuckle children every day on your lunch break? That makes you a horn dog. No, there you go. <laughs> That's my favorite disgusting saying, firing off a couple knuckle children. <laughs> Maybe I should edit this episode. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> okay, so can an individual then, um, can you produce more chi? Can you uh, fill up the well, so to speak? Only if you become a chi master and through the proper meditation techniques can you learn how to, uh, you know, basically pull the energy from the universe back into your body and replenish that well. But the average Joe, so like me and you, who don't know this meditation, uh-huh. you know, trying to release some uh, knuckle tension in the shower could some potentially... Knuckle l- tension? <laughs> yeah, could, uh, uh, you know, lead to a, a shorter lifespan. Ah, uh, okay, I see. So Okay, so you're saying there's a chance I just have to basically become celibate and move to Tibet and become a monk. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, you're saying there's a chance, so. And, and there, there was a guy. So there's this this book about like, um, 
Oh, I don't know. It has to do with like Chinese like folklore and like stories about like Chinese Bigfoots and like, you know, weird stories, right, that have happened throughout Chinese history. And yeah. there was a guy who just became really depressed with life. And it was like, dude, I just want to fucking kill myself. But he couldn't do it, right? Because like mm -hmm. hanging himself scared the fuck out of him. Drowning himself scared the fuck out of him. But uh, because of this belief of the chi energy... He thought that if he drowned himself in pussy every day, that eventually he could just drain enough of his life force that he would just wither away and die. So he basically <laughs> just opened up like his own like debauchery and was just like just going downtown like every day, like fucking like 20 whores. But he lived to be like a 60 year old man. Ladies of the night or sex <laughs> <Yeah>. workers. <laughs> wow. What a way to go, huh? Do yeah. much love. Yeah. So what happened? Did he end up dying or did he just wake up real thirsty every morning? And um, Somehow, like, he became known, like, in legend as, like, the human prawn or something because the fact that, like, the ladies were grinded on his face, like, he got some facial deformity. and like That's he ended... called gonorrhea. <laughs> yeah. Facial herpes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a whole rabbit hole. <laughs> huh. Well... What do you do? What do you do? <laughs> that's how that's how legends are made, folks. Episode one seventeen: <laughs> Jack O' Lanterns and Jack and All. <laughs> yeah, definitely an NSFW on this episode. <laughs> yeah. Definitely don't listen with the speakers turned up at work, folks. Yep. <laughs> well, speaking of that, I think y'all need some Jesus, um, and there's a way for you guys to get a little closer and walk with God. Because you're all in luck with Nike and a fashion brand designer known as Mischief, people can now walk on holy water. Apparently, Nike has just released a shoe filled with holy water. Have you ever wondered what it feels like to walk on water? Well, lucky for you folks, Brooklyn-based brand Mischief has you covered. The brand recently released a customized Nike Air Max 97 that has holy water built into the soles. The brand's website says they've injected over, I'm sorry, they have inject, they've injected 60 cubic centimeters of holy water sourced straight from the Jordan River. The shoes also have been adorned with a crucifix on the tongue on both shoes, have a red insole that are scented with frankincense, and also have a Matthew 1425 inscription stitched on the side of the shoe which refers to the passage where Jesus' disciples see him walking on water. The shoe originally is priced at $1,425, but because the first wave sold out, they are now being sold for $3,000 a pair. So I think if this is total like a marketing ploy, like just total bullshit, mm -hmm. I don't think it's holy water. I think that because San Francisco has such a bad water issue right now, there's like, you know, needles and trash <laughs> and like the, you know, like the rivers that they're holy, filling holy it water. with. Yeah, they're filling it with the nasty San Francisco water and be like, look, it's holy. <laughs> Gross. Uh, so on a sidebar here, um, I've always wondered, like, what happens in a vampire movie if you're running from a vampire and you go through a pond you know, and the vampires in the pond, too. Can a priest... <clears throat> Sorry, me, my voice squeaked. Speaking of masturbating. <laughs> Puberty. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway. Um, what happens if a priest quickly just blessed the entire pond? Dude, you're like, fucked as a vampire. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. So we just watched this really badass movie by a local filmmaker named Leif Yonker at a horror fest. It's called The Darkness. I highly suggest you guys all try to watch this thing. Uh, it's fantastic. But there's a scene where a horde of zombies is chasing a group through this pond. And the guy turns around and just starts dumping this two-liter bottle of holy water in the pond. And all of a sudden, all the vampires are like, wait. No! <laughs> Start just fucking melting. It was fantastic. But hey, you know some uh, quick history on him, real quick. Do you realize that he produced one of your favorite movies from 1996? I do. I do realize that. I believe he was one of the producers of Mars Attacks. Yeah, I didn't realize that until I looked it up the other day. Because I'm like, dude, I wonder what other stuff he's done. And then I'm just yeah. like, nope, nailed it right there. Mars Attacks. <laughs> yeah. It's when I uh, when I first met him back in what probably not 2017, and I did that Night of the Living Dead poster for Horror Fest, uh, we went to lunch one day just to kind of you know meet each other and talk more about you know doing the project. And he asked about the tattoo on my leg of Mars Attacks, and I went on to tell him about you know how my grandma was part of it, and uh, he just kind of chuckling. He's like, "Oh yeah, you know I, uh, I I helped make Mars Attacks," and so yeah, it was insane. I I had never saw that coming from a mile away, you know, that yeah. uh, he was involved in that. So small world. Yeah. But yeah, the darkness, uh, or sorry, darkness is fantastic. And I believe they're going to be doing an official restored Blu-ray uh, from Arrow coming out uh, in probably April, I think. Don't quote me on that, but after the beginning of the new year. So. Hell yeah. Yeah. Some pretty good shit. So. <sighs> Well, with Jesus Air Maxes coming to the forefront, does that mean, and excuse the pun, we are one step closer to the second coming of Christ? Because that might explain what the hell happened to this family in Reuters, Amsterdam. And there'll be a small break here because my phone didn't react to me opening the link, so this is the stuff normally that gets cut out. Dutch police recently discovered a family that had been locked away for years on a farm, quote, waiting for the end of time. In Amsterdam, five siblings and an older gentleman believed to be their father were recently uh, given medical treatment and then also rescued after Dutch police, acting on a tip, discovered them locked away in a secret room at an isolated farm in Amsterdam. The five estimated to be 18 to 25 years old and an older man identified as their ailing father were found near Runervald, a village in the northern province of Drinth. They said, We found six people living in a small space in a house which could be locked from the inside, but it wasn't a cellar. It's unclear whether or not they resided there voluntarily, said local police, but one thing they do know is they were there for over nine years. They say they're a whole family, a father and five children. Shortly after their mother passed away, it's believed that a man joined the farm and convinced the six that the end of the world was nigh and then moved everybody down into a small room in the basement. So apparently um, there was a cabinet that could be moved and there was a hidden staircase. And going down the staircase was... a uh, basically a basement with some, you know, hastily made separate rooms where this family of six lived. So for nine years, they were down there in this cellar, believing that the end of the world was either coming or had already happened. And they survived on a small garden they had made and then, you know, any kind of animal protein they could get. So I don't know. It doesn't really say if that just means like rats and actual rodents or if they were able to go, you know, topside. I believe it was topside because you'd have to have a garden, you know, above ground, so to speak. But 
They said that basically the only reason why they were discovered is one of the boys escaped one day and ran into the city. And they said that the guy uh, was easy. Sorry. You could easily see the guy had no idea where he was or what he was doing. He had long hair, scraggly clothes, and looked otherwise bewildered at the state of the outside world and had no idea how to interact with people or exactly how things worked. But he ran into the cafe and said he needs help and he had to run away uh, from a farm and that they needed to get help urgently back to his family. They've reported that the sixth, I'm sorry, they reported that the seventh person on the farm was a man who recently had moved in and had potentially convinced the other family that the, uh, that the end of the world was indeed nigh and they'd have to all move down into the basement as a sort of, you know, apocalyptic shelter. And they said that nearby neighbors were questioned and they said for the last several years, they've only ever known one man to live on the farm. They'd seen him going in, doing work, renovating the house, tending the farm, but never really questioned it. And they lived about 200 meters from the edge of town. So, you know, fair ways out into the country. So um, they end the article saying, we have plenty of questions of our own. We are currently investigating all possible scenarios. But that's about it. So hopefully we're going to have a follow-up on that. But that just sounds completely insane. And it reminds me a lot. Did you ever watch the movie on Netflix called Room? Mm, no. It had Brie Larson in it, and she plays a woman uh, who was potentially kidnapped and then taken down to this underground shelter. And then her captor and her have this relationship where he comes, you know, every night or couple nights a week and then she actually gets pregnant has a son and then it's about her raising her son to believe that they just solely exist in this room and there pretty much is no outside world and then one day uh, one day they hatch a plan to potentially escape huh yep pretty pretty interesting well preston i don't think that they were actually hiding from the apocalypse i think they were hiding from the zombie invasion or better yet, the zombie deer disease invasion. Because just last week, the CDC has announced that in Kansas alone, over 35 counties have been infected with chronic wasting disease among free-ranging deer, elk, and moose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do we have moose in Kansas? No, but we talked about the zombie deer. Um, we did, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Okay, so sorry. Um this actually stretches out over 24 states, including free-ranging deer, elk, and moose. So for Kansas, primarily going to be deer. Yep. But the CDC defines chronic waste disease, also known as zombie deer disease, as a progressively fatal disease that affects the brain, spinal cord, and many other tissues of the farmed and free-range deer, elk, and moose, including the nervous system. It involves them becoming disoriented, drooling, droopy-eyed, staggering, and copious amounts of urination. It says they become very, very hungry, but tend not to want to eat much, thus making them look like they're wasting away and or zombies. And something that makes me a little nervous here, because, you know, we've watched how many horror movies <laughs> between the two of us, and we oh, always know, you know. Time. I'm on, uh, I'm trying to do that 31 Days of Halloween Oof, where yeah. uh, I'm trying to go through 31 horror movies, and uh, you know Netflix, Hulu, and Vudu uh, is running me pretty thin here. 
because so, I've watched so many fucking many. I'm like, God damn, do I have to watch this one again? Yeah, right, right. Well, we always joke about this is how the zombie apocalypse happens. Well, they're not saying it could be spread to humans yet, but they are urging hunters to take proper protective measures. They say to wear gloves and consider wearing masks or face coverings if you're concerned about getting anything on your face. There's no way to tell if a deer actually has the disease, which lies dormant for several, you know, weeks or months before it actually makes its uh, symptoms noticeable. So the only way to tell if a deer you potentially have killed or, or you know, uh, shot, whatever, same thing, uh, the only way to tell is to actually test it after it's died. So they're urging people to take proper precautions, cook your meat thoroughly, and be very, very aware of your surroundings. And don't just, you know, run up and grab a deer. You can get bit, you know, cut, scraped, gored. So definitely, definitely practice some precaution around this shit. But presto, zombie deer aren't the only animal wildlife gracing the news this week. Because yet again, up in Oregon, the subject of cattle mutilation is right back in the forefront. What? Yeah, boy. So apparently in Sylvie's Valley Ranch in the eastern side of Oregon, five young purebred bulls have recently mysteriously showed up dead on a ranch over the course of just this last summer. The bovine are found drained of all of their blood, with body parts and soft tissue being removed precisely surgically, uh, sorry, <laughs> with precise surgical precision. This ranch's vice president, Colby Marshall, drives his town from one end of the U.S. Forest Service Road to the other, talking about the weird ways they've discovered these cows. And they said the sad thing about this is the cows themselves, these bulls, are worth around $6,000 a piece. So when you lose six bulls at six, I'm sorry, five bulls at $6,000, that's 30 grand you've just lost there. A lot of money potentially to these ranchers. But what's even worse is the fact that when you lose a bull, you also lose, you know, a measurable amounts of bull semen and then the potential to raise other prized bulls and cows in the future. And they said what's really strange here is coming up on these dead bulls, it's the same eerie, you know, surrounding. The bulls look like giant deflated stuffed animals. They smell, but weirdly there's no signs of buzzards, coyotes, or other scavengers or predators in the area. They say the fur is still shiny when they first find them, but they've been drained of all their blood. They said in some cases lips, tongues, anuses, and other reproductive uh organs have been removed with a surgical precision. They don't even notice so much as flies on these dead cows, which is really, really weird. Because normally if something dies, you know, out in the plains or out in the, in the woods, this thing's being attacked by all sorts of predators and scavengers. So they said that the, uh, live, the livestock were just reaching their top value as breeding bulls. The animals are worth nearly six grand each. Since they're breeding bulls, hundreds of thousands of dollars were also lost to whatever took away their prized livestock. They said also, it needs to be noted here, they're not saying it's aliens, but what they are saying as ranchers is it's bizarre and unexplainable. The terrain's rugged, they, uh, this guy says. I mean, it's the frontier. 
If some person or persons has the ability to take down a 2,000-pound range bull, you know, it's not inconceivable that they wouldn't have a lot of problems doing it with a 180-pound cowboy. So meaning basically these 2,000-pound bulls wouldn't have any issue taking care of, you know, a 180-pound cowboy. It wouldn't be nothing for a bull to stand its own. But what's even stranger is some of these bulls are being found with indentions underneath them like they've been dropped again from a very high altitude. So it brings up again that age-old argument of, are these aliens? Or are these potentially something else a little more terrestrial? Because when you talk about cattle mutilation, you always have that idea that uh, it could be us. It could be our actual, you know... Uh, scientists or government here doing this. And the best way for you to figure out what you're doing to your local environment through chemicals, through, you know, water treatments, through hormones, the best way to figure out how you're affecting local livestock is to check their soft tissue. How are they being affected in their blood? How are they being affected around their lips, their tongues, their buttholes? If you eat something bad, it's going to make that booty get real nasty. So they oftentimes, you know, consider that to be a factor as well. And also reproductive tissue. How are these things affecting something's potential to either become sterile or maybe really, really fertile? So I don't know. It's just another case, another classic case of uh, livestock and animal mutilations. And I mean, how long has this stuff been going on for? You know, some of the earliest cases of uh, cattle mutilations, I think, that I've read about are easily in the 20s that are being documented. So for having this phenomenon go on for, let's just call it 100 years, and they still have no culprit, they still have no actual explanation, they have a couple pretty decent theories, some of them super paranormal, some of them, you know, pretty uh, dastardly, but so far there's nobody being held up as a culprit. And something else bizarre here to the rancher mentions is it's really dusty out here on their their uh, ranch. So when they come out here and find these things, there's no actual you know source of tracks. There's no footprints, no feet prints. There's no four wheelers, no three wheelers, no motorcycles, no other wolf tracks. There's no tracks at all. It's just you know untouched soil followed by, you know, pretty much a, uh, a drain-dry cow carcass. So, I don't know. Preston, what do you think, man? Any new ideas as far as what you think could be causing this or the same old, same old? I think it's the same old, same old. I think that, um, uh, so, uh, you know, when we talk about uh, uh, science now, like we're trying to recreate dinosaurs or we're trying to recreate woolly mammoth. Uh, mm -hmm. So we found that woolly mammoth carcass not too long ago. And, um, it, you know, it was so well preserved from the permafrost that to see yeah. if the DNA was active, they had to inject the cells into, uh, like, you know, certain uh, body parts of mice and then check those body parts of the mice and then the cells came back to life. So I think if we talk about, you know, like a cowboy can't handle a 6,000 pound bull by himself. So the, the uh, surgical precision of the cuts and the body parts that are missing, it, it's not going to shock me that if for whatever reason that they like this, these aliens need this base genetic stock and what better, you know, genetic stock than the, you know, the cells and the tissue and a cow's ass. So, you know, use it or lose it. <laughs> use it or lose it. <laughs> 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, and something else interesting, too, that uh, has been said time and time again, if you have unlimited, you know, technology at your disposal as a a third party, as an alien, uh, you know, species visiting another planet and you want to know, can I eat the grass? Can I eat these plants? Can I eat these animals? All you got to do is take, you know, a local um, animal, some fauna, and then cut it open and look at how its stomach looks. Check its butthole. And if you can discover that all these things are pretty much, you know, digesting and processing food the way they should be, you know it might be safe for you to eat as well. So some people argue that this is actually their way of figuring out, you know, region by region what is safe to eat. And again, that's kind of a tinfoil aspect to it, but... uh, The thing that really bugs me, I think, out of all this is the fact that when they find these deer, they're just exsanguinated. How do you pronounce that? Exsanguinated? Yeah. You know, that's that's, that's a really good job. You (laughs) you actually pronounced that better than some of the simplest words that I mispronounced. So good job, buddy. (laughs) Exsanguination. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, imagine imagine a bull, dude, a 2,000-pound, a one-ton animal being you know dead on the side of a road or in the middle of the of a forest or a ranch with not a drop of blood anywhere to be found i don't know super super bizarre but i don't know it doesn't all really matter anymore preston because i think the people in amsterdam had the right idea um i'm <laughs> i don't know how to tell this next story without laughing but also being a little bit serious if you believe in ouija boards But basically, the whole world's going to go to shit because a lot of people are concerned we're going to have Godzilla-sized ghosts and demons roaming about because up in Salem, Massachusetts, they have just created the world's largest Ouija board. Have you read about this? Uh, You know, I saw that our uh, buddy Farley had posted it on his uh, Facebook feed, but I did not read it because I saw in your show notes that you were going to talk about it. So lay it (laughs) on me, baby. Look at that. All right, this comes from Mashable.com. The record-breaking talking board, also known as a Ouija board, has debuted in Salem, Massachusetts, previously this Saturday, being called Ouijazilla. Weighing over 9,000 pounds, Ouijazilla was constructed out of 99 sheets of plywood, 20 gallons of wood stain, and is accompanied by a roughly 400-pound planchette with a giant pencil attached. The board's hand-painted design mirrors the iconic Parker Brothers glow-in-the-dark Ouija board set with some added Ouijazilla flair along the borders. Now, despite the sight of this gigantic board, it is fully functional, they say. The planchette can be maneuvered across the board's surface by just one person or a large group, making a potential gigantic summoning a reality. According to Ripley's Believe It or Not, Ouijazilla trumps the previously uh, the previous talking board that held the record, which was on top of the Grand Midway Hotel in Windber, Pennsylvania, by a large margin. The previously uh, constructed Ouija board was just painted on the hotel's roof and officially majored by the Guinness Book of World Records back in 2016 at just over 1,302 square feet, which is less than half the size of our Ouija Villa. The massive board comes out of the brainchild of Rick 
Amortis Shrek. So his nickname is Amortis. <laughs> Vice President of the Talking Board Historical Society, of course, and a New Jersey-based tattoo artist. According to Ripley's, Shrek got his start in the talking board community as a collector, but later aspired to add to the long tradition of board making. He has been constructing Ouija Zilla since June of 2018, but the Salem's unveiling marked the final push for the board's assembly. Blah, blah, blah. It rained tirelessly on them. Such and such, such and such, blah, blah. So there you have it. They actually have the world's biggest Ouija board in Salem. And I think we're all doomed. Zombie deer, you know, blood-drained cows. It doesn't matter anymore. What we need, folks, is a bunch of these Jesus Nikes and a hope and a prayer. So let me, so let me get this straight. If I were to make a little, like, one-by-one one Ouija board, I would summon a midget spirit... However, if I go use this giant-ass <laughs> Godzilla board, I'm going to summon, like, the largest demon of hell. Like, size really does yep. matter is what you're trying to tell me? Maybe. I mean, I'm picturing a bunch of fucking kaijus. You're going to be summoning <laughs> a bunch of Godzilla ghosts. Damn. <laughs> Damn. Every creature Godzilla's killed. No, I don't know. That's a good question, man. I don't know that size does matter, but I do think it's funny because if you think about tulpas and thought forms and the Slender Man, and, and the Philip experiment, and all this shit, a lot of times they argue, scientists, parapsychologists argue, that you get out what you put into the universe. So if you've got a crowd of, let's just say, 300 people strong, around this giant Ouija board, and they're all just hoping, and praying, and concentrating, and having the same thought all at once, we want a ghost, we want a ghost, and then you have however many people moving this planchette, <laughs> around you know a little bit of old-fashioned magic you could summon something with that many people putting that much effort into the universe into the ether you know it well, definitely shit. makes you raise an eyebrow put down your dildos lady and get on the ouija board <laughs> <laughs> or better yet keep it and get on the ouija board i <laughs> don't know what could happen yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's the, the secret to unlocking it uh, yeah, there you have it, folks. Lots of weird shit going on in the world, and I don't even know what to think, guys. Dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Yeah. Don't cross yep. the streams. <laughs> right. Especially if you guys are out there making your own sigils. <laughs> well, you know, I thought I'd end this uh, episode on kind of a fun note here. I don't know if we've ever shared this story before or not, but it came back across um, my usual internet searchings. Did we ever talk about the history behind the jack-o'-lantern? Uh, potentially. Potentially, okay. Let me share it again, because I think it's fun, and we might have some new listeners that haven't delved that far back in the backlog. So essentially, the jack-o'-lantern was inspired by the legend of Stingy Jack. So it says here, people have been making jack-o'-lanterns on Halloween for centuries. The practice was created from an Irish myth about a man nicknamed Stingy Jack. So according to our story here, Stingy Jack was just that. He was a stingy penny pincher, didn't like to spend a penny of his own money, but he also had a vice that sometimes became very expensive. You see, old Stingy Jack here liked to drink. And Jack also had a really unusual friend. 
the devil. So Stingy Jack oftentimes would go out in the wee hours of the night, hit up the pubs and the taverns with his old pal Satan, his old pal, I just mispronounced that, with his old, fuck, I gotta take a drink. Speaking of drinking, I'm drinking a cinnamon stout. Stingy Jack and his old pal the devil would hit the pubs and the taverns in the wee hours of the night. But Stingy Jack didn't like paying for his drinks. He had a really nasty habit of ordering two or three pints and looking at old Satan and saying, Ooh, maybe you could pick up this one next time, huh? Maybe you got the next round. I'll get the one after that. So Jack would sit and drink and drink and drink and never pay for a single drop. So one night when they're out drinking, Jack looks over at the devil and he says, Hey, uh, I left my wallet at home, but maybe you could do me a solid. If you're the devil and you have the same amount of powers as Jesus, maybe you could turn yourself into a silver coin that could pay for all the beer a man could ever drink. Then we drink for free. The devil looks over at Jack and he says, You penny-pinching son of a bitch. That might just work. So the devil snaps his finger and poof. He turns into a silver, shiny coin. Jack looks over and grabs the coin, and instead of handing it to the barkeep, he drops it into his pocket, right next to a sterling silver cross that he'd placed there earlier in the evening. So knowing that a silver cross could prevent the devil from using his magic and turning himself back into his actual humanoid form, Jack starts laughing and whispers down to his pocket, You're not going anywhere. I've got you just where I want you but I'll make a deal with you. I'm going to let you out on one condition. For one year, you don't bother me. You don't chase after me. You don't try to bargain for my soul. I go on doing whatever I want. And if, only if, I manage to pass away somehow over the next year, you could have my soul. No arguments, no pearly gates. It is yours. So the devil thinks about it for a second, and he says, you know what, that's a great idea, because you're just about a big enough dummy that if you don't do something stupid, your liver alone will take you, and then I will have my vengeance. So Jack takes the coin out, tosses it out on the floor, and the devil pops up. And then a year later, they're out drinking again, and Jack looks over at the devil, and he says, you know what, devil, I'm really hungry. This bar doesn't have any food, so let's go find us something to munch on. So Jack and the devil are out walking around a fruit orchard, and Jack somehow convinces the devil, you know what, those apples at the top of that tree look so delicious, but I'm scared of heights, and I don't want to fall out of this tree and break my neck, because then you'll drag me straight down to hell. And the devil, having a bit of a beer buzz himself, says, ah, I got this one, don't worry about it. And he hops up in the tree, grabs three or four apples, starts chucking them down towards Jack, and he looks down and sees Jack doing something funny to the tree. So the devil kind of scurries down the tree a little closer and realizes Jack has been carving crosses into the side of this tree. And the devil says, Jack, you son of a bitch, you know I can't cross a cross, so I can't get out of this damn tree. How the hell could you do that to me, and how could I be so stupid as to fall for your tricks once again? And then the History.com ad popped up and made me lose my place. <laughs> Spooky. No, so what happens then is Jack basically says, well, you know what, old devil, old pal, old friend? This one's going to cost you a little bit more. I'll take care of these crosses and let you get down, but you have to agree that you won't bother me or pine for my soul for ten more years. But again, 
If something were to happen, some fateful accident, and I die, my soul is yours. You can drag me back down to hell and have your way. So the devil says, well, sure as shit. You know what? There's no way you're going to live for ten more years. You barely got through one. So you can have your deal, take care of these crosses, and I'll let you go for ten more years. But I'm going to have your ass, and this is good as grass. And I'm going to burn it. So then he takes care of the crosses, devil hops down, and they're just chums drinking and running around. And as years go by, Jack gets older, and sooner or later, Jack actually passes away. So as he goes through, you know, the different portals of hell, and he gets up to the pearly gates, I'm sorry, <laughs> he goes through the several portals of hell, and he gets down, and he knocks on the door, and the devil answers, and he says, hi, Jack, how are you? And Jack says, well, a deal's a deal. I died, so my soul is yours. And the devil looks at him and laughs and says, no, no, it's not, Jack, because you done pissed me off. You screwed me over so many times. Hell is just too good for you. But I tell you what, you only have two options, right? Hell or heaven. And he points up and he says, well, you and I both know that man at the pearly gates doesn't want anything to do with you because you drank, you ran around, you slept around. So he ain't going to take you either. Go try it. So Jack flies up to heaven, talks to the old man himself, and, and God says, well, you know what? I don't want you. Your soul's been tarnished, and you're filthy, and you're no good here. Unfortunately, sir, you've sinned too much, and down to hell you go. So Jack goes back down to hell, knocks on the door once more, and says, devil, old pal, old friend, you don't want me, and heaven won't take me. So what am I supposed to do? And so the devil says, well, I tell you what, your only option from henceforth is to travel in between the worlds of the living and the dead, looking for the answer. So to light your ways, I'm going to give you a turnip and light a small fire, and that's going to guide you on your journey through this world and the next. You'll never find solace, you'll never find rest, but you instead are doomed to wander the earth with a sole light of a turnip guiding your way. And so that is where, essentially, we get jack-o'-lanterns from. Jack-o'-lanterns originally were not pumpkins, Preston. They were actually carved out of turnips, out of beets, and other small vegetables. Wow. Yeah, and only later did we actually have pumpkins, because people wanted to carve something bigger than just a, a turnip or an old dusty beet. Hmm. Fuck you, Satan. Yeah. But I will include some pictures of these early turnip pumpkins because they are hideous. But yeah, that is the story of how we got jack-o'-lanterns because Jack ended up becoming Jack of the Lantern, a ghost that was said to haunt the world, still to this day doomed to wander the earth with nothing but a soft light of a glowing turnip. Damn. Yep, and of course, like everything else, we shorten it, so we now have jack-o'-lanterns. Damn. Yeah, there you go. Poor dude, he just wanted to have a good mm -hmm. time, fucked with the devil. He just wanted to drink, drink some beer and have his way with some loose women, huh? Well, we all see what that'll get you. Yeah, damn. <laughs> well, dude, you got anything you, uh, you want to plug here? I mean, as always, if ladies, if your fella needs a beard, wants a beard... Wants to grow a beard that's going to make you put down the old Satan dildo? Check out Big Doff's <laughs> beardbomb.com <laughs> and use promo code PXLPA for 20% off 
your order, and your man will have the most luscious man fur ever that you'll just want to rub your fingers <laughs> through. And you can just, you know, mm, take in those scents like sweet Sounds tobacco. Like to bump a Coke. Yeah, sweet tobacco, <laughs> citrus, fresh, mint. Dundee Cedar, classic Bay Rum, which by is my all-time favorite. Uh, you can't go wrong with Big Dobbs. So do your do your guy a solid. Buy some Big Dobbs. There you go. Did you already dropped the promo code. Yeah, PXLPARA for twenty percent off your order. There you go. And if we were like a real high class podcast, we'd also have a promo code for Adam and Eve, so you could still take care of yourself and himself too. But we're not, so go yeah. check out Dobbs, <laughs> 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 or some kind of mattress. We try to fucking pedal to be gross. Yeah, check out Mark's solo podcast, Pixelated Sausage. Check out his video series, Attack the Backlog. If you want, check out the Patreon. Throw a few shillings if you so choose. That'd be great. If not, we still love you, and you're still outstanding listeners. And speaking of our listeners, we are meeting up with super fans John and Leslie tomorrow night to record a very special intro addition to our second podcast, 13 Nightmares. And we're going to have a roundtable style episode where we cuss and discuss our love for all things horror and also some very fun, maybe little known facts of some of our favorite horror movies. So look forward to that next week. Otherwise, I'd say uh, check out gunslingersoap.com. They have all sorts of fantastic soaps. Am I forgetting anything? Our favorite race car podcast, Preston. Sports Cars Unleashed, where if you're not first, you're last. Mm-hmm. All right. I think that just about. Oh, lastly, sorry, guys. On the first week of November, I believe it is what? November 2nd? Nope. Sorry, guys. November 5th. Starting at noon on November 5th, carrying over to noon on Wednesday, November 6th, we are having our, I believe, third annual Pixelated for a Purpose charity video game marathon. We are pledging to play video games 24 hours nonstop. You guys can join us. We'll have more instructions on where to watch us. You can make donations if you'd like. Last year, we raised about $1,000 to donate. This year, I think we are throwing all the money towards a great cause. The Children's Miracle Network, I do believe, is the one we're going for this year. But, uh, yeah, more info on that to come. Please, if nothing else, just drop by and say hi. You yeah. know, we'll be, I think, streaming on Facebook uh, live and those kind of things. So we can't wait to get that started. It's going to be a great time. So, okay, that does it, guys. Short, sweet, sloppy. I didn't make a joke about summoning the devil through <laughs> masturbation, but we've done enough of those. <laughs> so I will say, guys, cheers to the weird shit in the world and those of us that love to talk about it. That's right. And stay spooky and stay on the Paranormal Highway. The cast that Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.